Hey, welcome to the Bible Savvy Podcast, a weekly conversation on how to understand, enjoy, and apply God's Word. I'm your host, Nikki Lucas, and I'm joined by teaching pastor Clayton Keenan and our good friend, David House Connect. We're about to jump into a passage from the Bible Savvy Reading Plan, but before we do, David, do you want to introduce yourself to us and to our I'd listeners? I'd love to. Yes. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, my name is David. I'm the men's and young adults pastor. Uh, just moved here with my family, my wife, and my two kids uh, from Lexington, Kentucky, where I was doing campus ministry at University of Kentucky. So go Cats. Uh, but I'm a huge Cubs fan, so glad to be in Chicago world. Fantastic. Nice. All right. Well, David, it is tradition here. Maybe you've listened to the podcast. You should have by now that we ask a question at the beginning. And so I'm going to ask you first, okay, what do you wish grew on trees? <laughs> uh, okay. So f- first of all, the first thing that people learn about me is I love coffee. I'm sitting here drinking coffee. Mm. And if if there was a tree that produced like hot, good cups of coffee at all times, then my life would be so simple. Like I would never have to search for it and I could just grab it and do the coffee thing. But that's a little unrealistic. So we'll go with the more realistic answer of um, churros. <laughs> Very realistic. Wait, wait, wait. Churros. Wait, how, did, how, did, how do we classify cups of coffee <laughs> as unrealistic? All I can think of with the cups of coffee is that someone is going to walk by and it's just going to spill like scalding coffee onto it. It was just like a like a, a horror movie. They're, like, pre, like, ah, they're pre-poured coffees the in coffee. cups with lids. Yeah, they have lids. They're, 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 they're very they're, they're firm good lids. Yeti uh, quality. Okay. Yeah, there you right. go. Yeah. Okay, so churros. Yeah, churros. churros. No, that's an awesome answer. I because I okay, Clayton, you know this about me. I'm not a big sweets guy. Like I don't I don't really love cake or cookies. Like I just don't reach for that. But if there's churros on the table. Like, I'm always, I just love a good churro. In fact, for my wedding, I tried to convince my wife to do, like, wedding churros instead of wedding cake. Uh, did, and, but it didn't happen? Her, her, mother, her mother did not appreciate my humor. <laughs> now, the churros have different, like, flavored, like, insides, right? Like, the filling inside? Yeah, yeah, yeah sometimes. But, it, but the consistency is the cinnamon. Like, okay. the, it's the cinnamon, I think, that gets me. Because ah, okay, I love gotcha. good cinnamon-based anything. Good. Okay. Yeah, oh, that's good. good. Yeah. Right. Clayton, how I, about you? I don't know. I, I thought about this. I knew what the question was coming in, and I, I like couldn't do it because I kept thinking, I'm going to get sick of anything that does genuinely grow on trees. But I kept thinking key lime pie for some <laughs> reason, which, again, I don't know how that how the physics of that works, but like... I feel like it would just be it'd be so tasty. It would be so good. Or or if it could just be pies in general and it's like each mm. season there's like blueberry pie and key lime pie like that would be I would love that. Could there be a churro pie? A churro, a churro, churro. pie. Let's totally let's do that. Okay. Let's see that. Like or what if it what if it was like it changed like yeah, every so often, where it was like this, the the whatever the thing is you need for that season. Like I like there's summer things like blueberry pies, mm. and there's yeah. you know later season stuff like pumpkin pies. Like that would be. That'd be awesome. Like a, mm. like a, like a, uh, like a French silk pie, you know, mm. like in the winter, get like a mint yeah. pie in February yeah. or something. Wow. Oh man, that'd be awesome. He's got it all figured out. Yeah. I love that you went down the pie route. I I mean, it's not like, yeah, it because just feels right. When I thought about it, I was like, what? Like, I don't even, I don't even know, but I am in like a cobbler phase right now because it's starting <laughs> to get, it's starting to get cold outside. Yeah. So I want like peach cobbler mm. or like blueberry cobbler or blackberry or like a mixed berry cobbler. And so... I'm just constantly looking up cobbler recipes. It'd be really nice if I could just go pick one off a tree and eat it. Like seriously, instead of having to make them. Because some of them are so itch- intricate. Like the the, the the recipes are just crazy sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah. 
it, these are these are all messy things. Like I don't I don't <laughs> yeah, know that this all works. But yeah. you know what? The question wasn't realistic to begin so with. Pie? Imagine mowing your lawn after oh, dropping God. all of, I, pile over your grass. I, mean, and... I I had an apple tree. I had an apple tree in my yard <laughs> yeah. when I moved in, and all it did was pro- it produced a ton of apples late, like in the fall when you couldn't eat them fast enough, and th- and they were kind of bland. And and then it just meant bugs. It just meant mm-hmm. like mowing oh. apples and wasps. And like we even we even got the Kuipers, you know, to come out and be like, "Can you help drink?" Because they go to the the church and they're Apple people, right? Like, so Will Kuipers comes out and he's helping us out, and it's like, no, this Didn't is work. not worth maintaining. This is not mm. good. So, mm. no. All gross. right, so pie, churros, and cobbler. There you have it. And coffee doesn't attract the bugs, so maybe coffee is the move. Maybe, maybe, maybe coffee. coffee. Yeah. yeah. All right, Clayton, what passage are we looking at today? We are in a new book of the Bible. We are in the book of James, in James chapter 1 in the New Testament. And uh, let me give you a little context for James. Uh, James is a letter written very early on in the kind of early movement of the church. It was written by James, who is uh, a brother of Jesus. So this is an interesting thing. Jesus' brother did not believe in him during his life, but at some point after, you know, the death and resurrection, he came around. Um, And so uh, he was a leader in the Jerusalem church. He was an early leader in the church, very influential. And uh, his church that he was leading was mostly Jewish believers, which makes sense because they're in Jerusalem. And uh, so he comes out of a context where he is addressing uh, a, a very Jewish mindset and speaking from the the, the Hebrew scriptures and so on. Uh, and this book that he's writing, it's not clear exactly what the situation people are in, but he is offering practical wisdom about a lot of things. So sometimes people will say James is the New Testament wisdom book. You know, you got Old Testament wisdom books like Proverbs and, uh, you know, uh, Ecclesiastes and those books. And there's things about James that feel like those books where it's talking about these practical, uh, how do you live kinds of things. And so we're going to get into some of that today. Um, so we're going to start in James uh, chapter 1, verse 1, and we're going to read the first 18 verses. So David, normally this is something that Ferris does, but would you be willing to read the passage today? I'd be honored. All right. James 1, verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. 
He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. All right, let's start with observation. Let's talk about the things that we see in this passage. What do you got? The first thing that I saw was um, this countercultural type of uh, take on considering it pure joy to face trials. Like many people in our culture today would see some, hear of someone facing a trial or be experiencing a trial themselves, and they would not get joy out of it. It just would not. They would be like, I can't wait for this to end. Please stop now. Like, you get what I'm saying? Yeah, it just does not fit our instinct. I I saw something similar uh, down in verse 9 when it talks about Mm -hmm. people in humble circumstances. So it's talking about people in poverty uh, should take pride in their high position, and the rich should take pride in their humiliation. Mm -hmm. There's something completely flipped on its head that is not your instinct when you're in those situations. Um, and, and, And probably these things are connected that you'd say... There's something about Jesus that makes it so that these situations are not what you naturally feel about them. Yeah. Yeah, I love James comes out swinging. Like, he, he just goes immediately, consider it joy when you're in a trial. He's he's just setting the tone for the letter. Um, and it made me think about if this were contemporary times. Like, if you're writing an email to someone you haven't seen in a while, haven't talked to, how do you start it? Hmm. Hope you're doing well, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> It's like everybody does it. Who who knows what that even means anymore? And James almost does the exact opposite and almost says, like, hope you're experiencing trials. It's all joy and it's going to produce perseverance. And it's like the exact opposite of what you expected, like a friendly hello. Hope you're doing great. Yeah, you're like, oh, I finally got a letter. For, you know, like it's not it's not like an email where you get tons of them every day. This is like a letter you got from somebody and they're like, yes, I wish you – Trials. I mean, not exactly, but close. Like it feels like it, yeah. (laughs) The other thing it says to here about uh, facing trials is that it produces perseverance. And then perseverance shows that uh, when it's worked out, it shows us mature and complete, Mm -hmm. not lacking anything. I love what what, uh, James says in verse 5. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. When When I read that, I highlighted um, who gives generously to all without finding fault. Because I thought to myself, sometimes when we don't have something and we have to go ask for it, like especially if it's like wisdom, like, yeah, well, I don't know what to do here or I don't know how to handle this. Or it almost feels like I, I feel embarrassed to ask because I should have what I need already and I don't. Um, but what James is saying is if you lack it, come to God independence knowing he's going to give it to you he's not going to find any fault in you he's actually going to be glad that you're coming to him and he's Mm. going to give you everything that you need he's not going to say "Ah, yeah kid you should have that yeah Mm -hmm. he's like here i'll give it to you i really like that observation because there there is that sense that we have that i should feel ashamed that i need the help you know and Mm -hmm. and he says no he doesn't find fault that's really i love that Mm -hmm. um i i i find that i come back to this verse a lot and sort of claim that promise, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. all right, God, I need wisdom mm-hmm. like that. You, you said you'd give it. Um, my, my observation, my next observation is um, the imagery that's used when it talks about, um, you know, the rich uh, taking pride in their humiliation. There's there's this kind of elaborate uh, thing that it, it's echoed in lots of places in Scripture. I think, you know, Jesus uses this in the Sermon on the Mount and there are other places where it talks about they're like a wildflower, you know, like a plant growing out in a field, is there for a little while, the sun comes up, and then it withers away, and it's it's just that. But um, there's this, you know, it's, it's blossom falls, its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade even while they go about their business. There, There is something 
um, like James is clearly trying to rattle people a little bit with this because there's Mm. something about wealth that makes you think this is solid and permanent and it's going to hold me. Mm. And in reality, the the image that came to mind is not the, um, not the the flower one that's right there, but I I got this image of, it's almost like someone like riding in a boat, but the boat is made, (laughs) this is, this is so weird, but it's what came to mind. The boat is made out of, um, you ever have those packing peanuts that are made out of cornstarch? So they dissolve in water. Yeah. You know, where it's like, what? Yeah. The, what, what, instead of like styrofoam, like you throw them in the water and they're biodegradable or whatever, but like they seem solid, but you get them a little bit wet and they just sort of dissolve away. It's almost like someone like in a boat rowing in something like that, where it's like, and it's slowly fading away. Mm-hmm. Like even as they row, it sort of goes away. But you feel like if I have money, if I have these things, I'm secure and I'm solid. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, no, it's, it's like floating in a dissolving boat. Yeah. You know? So that's interesting because one of my observations was in. Uh, in verse 4, says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. I was l- looking into that language, and other translations use the word perfect. And I always find it interesting when they're like mature, complete, perfect. And so I just kind of went on like a little bit of a journey looking into that. And it just basically it's trying to communicate wholeness and integrity. Like this is where maturity, integrity um, comes together. And so I, I had the same image of a boat where if you're talking about this boat can withstand water and pressure in a storm, you'd say mm. that boat's material has integrity. It doesn't, yes. it doesn't, whether it's perfect. <laughs> and, and so he, and he says this and he actually repeats, uh, this word perfect seven times in the whole letter of James. And so I'm, he's clearly like digging into something and, and he immediately follows this idea of when it means to be perfect, he follows it with, and if you lack wisdom, we're saying like, if, if you're not there yet, Maybe you need to ask for wisdom, and yeah. then God will generously just bestow this wisdom on you to make you perfect and mature and complete and have that you know solidification, not like the wealth that withers away, yeah. but there's an integrity of character, a, a posture. Another thing that I saw kind of going back to this countercultural thing is in verse 12, it says, Blessed is the one who per, uh, perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will sh- receive the crown of life. Again, someone... When you think of that idea of someone undergoing a trial, um, even if I th- when I, I I thought of that word trial and I pictured like a contemporary scene, you know what I mean? Someone being behind bars or jail or something like that, right? And it's this idea that no, what what actually awaits them is not necessarily shackles or some sort of a prison, but God's going to give them a a crown and a cr- like a crown of life. And usually we we associate a crown with I don't know, like it's like gold and there's jewels on it and it's this beautiful high piece of of jewelry and yet it's going to be given to somebody who's really really struggling with mm. whatever it yeah. is that they're struggling with mm. and, and it's just again it's just like a, a, a weird contrast that has a lot of beautiful meaning to it yeah it reframes like it's easy when you're going through something hard to feel like i'm a defeated person like i'm i'm getting beat up i'm being crushed and instead, it, it it puts it in the category of, no, you're a champion doing something hard. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. there, it's like even in the moment, even before the crown comes, to know, actually, this is not just me getting beat up because I'm a loser. This is me persevering and heading towards something. And on the other side is some some kind of joy and reward. Mm-hmm. It changes even the experience in the moment when you when you get out. So you can have James mm-hmm. say, count it as joy. <laughs> you're like, how? Well, I think that I think what you pointed out there in, in verse twelve does that, and I th- I think the crown of life stuff even touches on the generosity piece that 
uh, Nikki, you were talking about where it's, you know, how could how could this turn into generosity? I said, well, the crown of life is coming. Um, and uh, as I read as I read James, I actually think that James communicates in many ways like Clayton when Clayton teaches. What? So sometimes I think I think Clayton's brain thinks in metaphors and like vivid oh, imagery. Yeah, and true. this is true. Many times, like he so he uses he talks about doubters being like a wave of the sea being tossed around. He talks about material wealth like a wildflower, and then he talks about being dragged away by evil desire and and being seduced and desire conceives gives birth to sin. When sin is full grown, gives birth to death. It's like this vivid imagery of this like um physically intimate relationship with desire and it, it i mean like you said like james is kind of getting in their face like say hey there's this thing here that you need to know so badly i'm going to give you a, a very clear metaphor this is where you're headed yeah the the image the image of the desire enticing and then uh conceiving giving birth to sin sin full grown giving birth to death i cannot not have the image of the movie Alien in my mind. <laughs> of course you. Like, of course you can't. Like if those, if those of you who haven't seen it, I mean it's it's from the seventies, I think. So it's like it's like iconic. So you'd probably know the scene. But there's like an alien inside of somebody, and they're like, oh, they feel like they have indigestion, and all of a sudden, like this monster bursts out of their chest, yep. and you're like, that this is. I I like that image, even though you know for obvious reasons I like it, but like. As, a, as an image What's of sin, the like, reason? Because, it's, because it's a great science fiction re- <laughs> reference to a classic. Um, but the uh, the idea that sin is actually destroying you from the inside out. Like, mm. we think of sin as dabbling in something that, yeah, I know I'm not supposed to do, but ultimately, what difference does it make? You know, like, hope it doesn't really, you know, make me feel guilty or what, you know, like, it's mm-hmm. that, like low level consequences. Mm-hmm. But it's death we're talking about, mm. and we don't we don't think of sin as a killer. We think of it as like uh, you know a, a taboo, right? Like, oh, I'm not supposed to do that. I'm just supposed to like avoid it because we're supposed to. It's like no, that's that's as deadly as a monster growing inside of you that's going to destroy you from the inside out. Mm-hmm. And there, there's some, there's something arresting about that. Yeah. What else you guys see? One one of the things that I saw, and I, I think it's. It's interesting. It says, uh, verse 13, it says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, right? For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Um, Sometimes when people are finding themselves in hard situations, right, sometimes you'll see people will use the word tempted and test, like, interchangeably, but they Mm. have two different meanings, Mm. right? Okay, so this is this is the tricky part, right? So like, this I'm is not, why I'm, I'm asking. Supposed to, I'm supposed to like this tricks people. You, you know, like we're, spo- we're part of part of what we do on Bible savvy is we make it to say, look, you got a Bible, you can read, you can read this. Okay, so we're we're not saying you got to have expert knowledge, but mm-hmm. sometimes a little bit of Greek helps. Okay, and the reality is in this passage, the word tempt and the word trial are the same word in Greek. And that's pretty consistent throughout the Bible. And mm. it's in context that it's, which one are we talking about? And usually tempt is in the context of someone saying, I'm going to put you in a situation where you've got to choose between what's right and what's wrong, because I want you to choose what's wrong. That's tempting. Trial is, I'm going to put you in a situation where you've got to choose between right and wrong, and I want you to choose right. That's a trial. Mm. The only difference is the person's motive for, for your outcome. So Adam and Eve facing that tree God is saying, this is a trial. I want you to choose the right thing. The serpent is saying, I'm tempting you. I want you to choose the wrong thing. Okay. And so it's it's kind of weird because mm. it says God doesn't tempt anyone, which is true on one level. But then there are other situations in the Bible where it, he kind of does. And mm. so it's, it's, it's parsing out that what is God trying to get you to do? It's not sin. 
Yeah. It's persevere in the trial and do the right yeah. thing. And that's that's where it gets subtle. There the word uh, there is another Greek word in there that that's test, but they're used sort of as synonyms. Okay. So it's there is a difference. Yeah. But it's it's a subtle one. And it's but it's always understanding that God's motive is never to get you to choose the wrong thing. That's right. It's always to get it's you to always, choose the right thing. Yes. Yeah. That's and so the difference. We we should look at every situation knowing that both of those things are true. That there there is an enemy who wants you to do wrong and there is your savior who wants you to do right. And and this is that's how you should interpret the situation. You shouldn't be saying, God's out to get me. He mm. he won't provide for me in this. He's not gonna you know, I, I'm I'm trapped. You know, I'm stuck because God put me in this situation. That's mm. not that's not what God's doing. Mm. He's saying, No, no, you can do this. Mm. That's good. I've got uh, one other observation here. Um, it's the the section where it talks about doubt. And, um, you know, it says, uh, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. I The imagery there about doubt, I really, I find very vivid. There's like the image of the sea where it's like it's always changing. It's never constant. And then there's the double-minded, almost like you're standing on two platforms, you know, like you can't, you can't be stable. And um, I, I have a kind of mixed relationship with doubt. Um, there, there have been times in my life where I really struggled with doubt. In my 20s, there, was, there were uh, stretches of years where I really wrestled with my faith, even though outwardly I was doing all sorts of things uh, behind the scenes. There was a lot of questions there. And so I know that experience of saying, this feels really unstable. You know, I'd go to church and I would be in a worship service and one minute I'd be thinking, this is true. I believe this. I'm singing the song. And then I would have, for lack of a better term, what I'd call a BS moment where in my mind I'd think, this is bull. This doesn't make sense. This isn't true. And, um, and it would, it would switch because I'd have these doubts and it wasn't a Mm. stable place to stand. And so, um, I hear James words and I say, yeah, that's, that is what it's like. Mm. Um, on the other hand, I also know there are lots of people, and there were times in my life where I thought, it's not okay for a Christian to have hard questions and to to wonder about things and to not not understand and not be okay with some things, and have also found freedom in knowing, no, actually, God can handle your questions. So I'm curious what you guys uh, have to, to think about all of that. Yeah, I obviously mentioned that I came out of campus ministry, University of Kentucky, and uh, working with college students, I think they're naturally curious and inquisitive in, in that stage of learning and establishing their worldview. And so uh, I encountered these conversations all the time of, of you know, students coming and maybe for the, for the first time in their lives questioning this faith that they've been um, uh, growing up in, whether it's because their parents dragged them to church and they just always did the, the Christian thing. Um, I swear it was every other week someone would come to me and said, David, did you see this TikTok? <laughs> Because this TikTok just blew my mind, and I can't believe that you know they did this with this translation and that you know, and so so I'd I'd feel these questions a lot, and um and and some of it I think was natural doubt, and I and I think it's it's interesting because I think doubt and curiosity are very closely tied, and I think um every time I I would end up in these conversations, I would encourage them because there would almost be that shame of of oh I, I doubted. I doubted that God's existence. I'm I'm a bad Christian, or God doesn't love me anymore because I doubted. And I said, well, to ask questions, what you're doing is you're you're tilling up the the really shallow roots, and you're establishing new foundations. And so, if if asking questions drives you to a deeper faith, that's a good thing 
That's like that's you digging into it. It's when you're just asking questions to just ask questions and then content with whatever the like the new wave, like it says, like the ocean, like, oh, here's, like I said, here's this new video and here's this new objection and here's this new revelation that no one has ever thought of. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's been thought of, it's been, a, you know, it's been wrestled with and there's a response if you're willing to dig in and actually look for answers. It's sometimes I think people get stuck in their doubt and refuse to actually seek out answers. They just want to ask questions. And that's when like the, the restlessness comes. For me, I think growing up, so, you know, believing in God for as long as I can remember was was one thing. You have that head knowledge. It was very much like, well, I grew up with the faith that my parents had, and it didn't really become my own uh, until I, I think I, you know, I surrendered my life to Jesus when I was 12. But I really didn't get baptized and start living it for myself until I was like 22, 23 years old. And so in that span of time, when I would encounter... Uh, friends or people that I knew who would, um, you know, they the, somehow along the line they got to know that I believed in God and they would say, you do? And I'd be like, yeah. And they'd be like, why? And so I'd like, you know, say like, I give them, I tell them, I explain, you know, I mean, well, I grew up going to church and this is, I heard this and, you know, I kind of try to explain them and they'd be like, well, what about this? And they'd kind of talk, talk to me about how they, how they looked at it and ask some questions. And I would walk away from that conversation, always go, well, no, this is what I this is what I believe. This is what I know to be true. And then there will be sometimes there will be moments where I go, well, what if it's not? But then I go, but no, it is. So there was always this like mm. those, those, those moments. And that's where like I, I think it's interesting because in verse 16 um, of this passage in James, he says, don't be deceived. Like, and I'm thinking to myself like in those moments – I could have let fine-sounding arguments or the things that caused my friends, if they were once believers or they went at all, to doubt uh, the goodness of Jesus or the existence of God, um, to to have this question just pop into my mind, like, okay, but what if it isn't? You know, and then I just mm-hmm. had to over the course of, you know, growing up, I had to see the outworking of my faith and believing in that prove itself to be true. Um, but sure, that popped up. That popped mm-hmm. into my head a couple times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the, the I, David, I like what you said about if what you're doing is putting on deeper roots. Like I think sometimes feel people feel threatened by the questions mm-hmm. because it feels like it's pulling up roots, and all of a sudden you're unstable. But there is something like it, it has become fashionable to do the deconstruction thing to yeah, say, right. you know, I'm kind of like deconstructing my faith. Um, in past times. That um, that was a process that was normal for people as they grew into an adult faith or they grew past the phase of kind of initial excitement, you know, even if they came to faith as an adult and they start to realize the complexity and the challenge of things. Um, but there's a moment or there, there's a, a, a phase of that where what you're doing is saying, am I going to replace the, the, the shallow foundation that might have been true but simplistic mm. with something that is robust and deep? That still affirms those true things, but kind of rethinks it so that I'm building on something more solid. Like there's there's a, an, an important thing about that. I I go to the story. Uh, we, we recently read Matthew, like over the summer, and there are two stories in Matthew that sound almost identical at the beginning. One is John the Baptist sends messengers to Jesus and says, "Can you give me a sign that you really are the Messiah? Like that you are who we think you are." And Jesus responds with. 
all right, let me give you a list of things, you know, the blind to see and that, you know, the people are, you know, being healed and all sorts of stuff. And then uh, the Pharisees come a few chapters later and are like, give us a sign that you are who you say you are. And Jesus is like, only a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign. Basically the same question, but two opposite responses, because he knows the difference between a heart that says, I'm looking for deeper reasons to believe. Mm-hmm. And the one that's looking for, I'm trying to catch you to make sure I, so I can abandon this if I, you know, I can prove that it's not worthy of belief. Mm-hmm. And those are two different things. Um, not, outwardly, they might sound exactly the same. The question may be identical, mm-hmm. but inwardly, it's a different motivation. And I, that to me has been kind of the saving grace with those things. If it drives you to say, I want something deeper rather than I'm going to look for this to be a reason to run away. Um, that, that has made all the difference. We just live in an age where everything is contested. And so none yeah. of us get to be just like, yeah, we all just assume this. Like everything gets questioned. And so mm-hmm. it's inevitable that we're going to have to deal with this. Yeah, there's a there's a guy. Sorry, I'm going to nerd out for a minute. There's a guy named James Fowler. He came up with this like stage theory of faith development. And he talks about in adolescence, uh, there's this stage of faith that you enter that they call synthetic conventional where it's – it's shallow, but you just go with the convention of what people believe. So it's it's what do the people around you believe, and you kind of latch onto that as a way of like establishing faith. Like you feel like you're part of something, so you're going to latch onto it. But in order to move and progress through these stages of faith, um, the next stage is called individuative reflective faith, where you start to individualize it for yourself, but you have to reflect on every single belief in order to move there. You can't just latch on to, well, this is what everyone else has believed for the rest of my life when I was in high school or whatever. But at some point you have to actually stop and examine and like, don't be afraid to pull up the rug and be like, man, what, why do I think Jesus loves me? It's like, well, I read in scripture and first John three, one says I'm, I'm a child of God and that's who we are. And that sounds like love to, and then you start to like actually put, like you said, deeper roots into all these things that you've believed your whole life. But you actually, at some point, it's healthy to ask those questions and figure out for yourself, why do I believe what I believe? Um, This is good. All right. We should probably keep moving, though, with the passage here. Let's uh, go on to one of the M's in comma. Let's let's start with message this time. Uh, Message is when we take something we observed in the passage and we draw a a kind of a a summary conclusion and say, this is the principle that I'm going to draw from that observation. So what do you guys got? My message is uh, followers of Jesus are to live in light of the countercultural reality of the gospel. Hmm. Uh, there, there's some meat in there, mm-hmm. Nikki. That's, that's, that's true. Uh, my message is this. Um, questions are good for checking foundations, but they can't be your foundation. So it's that idea mm-hmm. of like doubt like is good for saying, let's make this more solid. Um, but if that's where you live, you're going to be unstable like the, the, the wave, you know, the double-minded person. That's good. You guys sounded so eloquent. Mine's going to sound super cheesy. <laughs> I can't wait. All right. Uh, God he, doesn't charge for guac. What? Okay, hang on a second. God doesn't charge he for guac? He incorporated guacamole into a message. All right, yeah. unpack that, bud. <laughs> okay, so uh, recently had Chipotle for lunch and went through the line and was like, oh, man, I'm kind of in the mood for guacamole. And it cost $2.25 to add guacamole to my burrito. And I was so frustrated that I'm paying all this money and I don't even get guac on my burrito. And I'm reading through this passage and it, it talks about like, hey, if you lack anything, like God who will give generously to all without finding fault. And then it says, it, that's in verse 5, verse 17, every good and perfect gift comes from the Lord. Uh, verse 12, those who persevere will receive the crown of life. It's this idea that if you ask and you believe, like, God gives generously. He doesn't charge for guac. Oh, my gosh. That's so great. That's so good. He was using, like, 
like hundred dollar words there earlier. Yeah. And then he just dropped the guac reference in his message. That's a thousand dollar reference there we right go. there. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. That's good. All right. We are going to move into the next M from comma. And that is meditation. This is uh, simply when we take some time to prayerfully reflect on a portion of scripture and not just think about it, but to talk to God about it. So I'm going to read a verse here, uh, right here at the beginning from verse two, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. All right, let's talk about the A in comma, which is application. This is where we say, what do we do with this message? Okay, so my application is based on my message. Followers of Jesus are to live in light of the countercultural reality of the gospel. So I'm pulling this from a couple different places. Just the mention of us talking about the just the various countercultural references in here, uh, having joy in trials and um, being, you know— considering humility a high position, that kind of a thing. Um, And then verse 18 says, God, he chose to give us birth through the word of life. And that's the gospel. He chose to give us life through the gospel. And so as believers, we are called to face things differently. We're called to live differently, to talk differently, and to reflect a different kind of life, and to find joy in that, and to speak to people openly about it, because this this gospel that we have, this good news of Jesus Christ has given us life. And when we do that, when we live differently, when we talk differently, when we face things differently, when we're different, people see it so that we get to share with them this gospel and then they get to come and join us for the ride. So to mm. me, that's, uh, that was, that's my application. That's my message. Yeah, I love, I love yeah. that idea of people seeing that and want to be a part of it. Because I, I, I really do think when people see someone who's going through a trial and they're like, I have a different attitude about this mm-hmm. or... They're, they lack wisdom and somehow they, they keep going because they're like, I've got a source for that. You know, there's something really attractive about that. We've, we've seen this play out in a, a good friend of ours who's been battling cancer for a long time. And one of the things uh, that that doctors and nurses have repeatedly said about him is that when he when he has went in for his and I, he's in remission now, praise God. But when he's went in and he got his his chemo treatments, the kind of joy and the attitude that he had in facing those trials made those doctors and nurses ask questions hmm. and he got to share the gospel with them and invite them to church and everything. So when people see it, they know something is mm-hmm. different and then you get to share the gospel of Jesus yeah. with them. That's good. That's good. Uh, my application is again, tied to the, tied to the guac, but yes. uh, <laughs> it just, I'd wrote, don't be anxious, but trust the Lord and his generous gift of wisdom to see things correctly as they are. Um, so I wrote here, anxiety doesn't produce joy in trials. My, um, ever since having kids, uh, I discovered what anxiety is <laughs> for the yep. parents out there. You know, um, they both had serious 
medical emergencies uh, when they were very young, which just causes this kind of anxious reaction in my heart. And as I read, uh, as I read in James, I just hear this idea that um, trusting in the Lord in these trials uh, is is true worship, whereas anxiety produces fear, it idolizes control, um, and James is just preaching this message of you don't really need control. You think you need to be in control in this trial, in this really hard thing that you're going through, whatever that is. For me, it's, you know, kid sickness and medical emergencies. For other people, it might be something else. But um, James basically reminds you, you don't need to be in control You don't, because you can trust in the Lord that he is generous that he doesn't charge for guac, <laughs> and he will, pr- and this this trial will produce perseverance and a deeper love of Jesus, who is in control, and we can thank God for that. That's awesome. Um, yeah. So my my message uh, being about questions are good for checking foundations, but not actually being your foundation. Um, what that means is you got to do something with your questions, and and they will come up. And so what that means is actually talking to God about them. Uh, counterintuitively, the thing that makes you say, "Can I trust God?" or "Do it, is it is it real?" should be the thing that drives you to actually talk to God more. You should say, God, here's my question. Here's the thing I'm thinking about. Here's the thing that, that bothers me. And, and it, let it move you towards him rather than away from him. So related to that, uh, letting your questions drive you to seek answers. Uh, mm-hmm. Sometimes people just live in the question and, and in some ways delight in that and sort of mm. get a little bit of, you know, especially if so you're true. surrounded by people who kind of revel in that. Um, but to actually seek the answer and say, no, they're, they're smart people who've thought about this. Yeah. L- well, let's see what they had to say about that and see if it, it makes any sense. Yeah. Well, there you have it, friends. David, thanks for joining us thanks so much. Me. Join us again next Monday for a new episode. We'll be looking at another passage from the Bible Savvy Reading Plan. In the meantime, if you're not following along, you can check out BibleSavvy.com to download it and start reading today. Also, you can subscribe and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Email us your questions or suggestions at podcast at BibleSavvy.com. Lastly, tell your friends, and we'll talk to you next week.